Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday. Actually, it's Wednesday afternoon. I'm running late this week, but I'll tell you the truth, I was going to do this last night, came home, sat in front of the computer, and fell asleep. Plain and simple as that. Um, but we'll get around to the partial right now. Maybe it's better because I already had a chance to do the ladies' class. Always this this lady share we do on Wednesday mornings, and then we talk about the partial, and I come up with some ideas. Today's podcast is being sponsored by the Dax family, uh, Rabbi Heshi Dax, and, and, um, his, for his father's yard site, which I believe was yesterday. He was in the show yesterday. And that's for Full Aryeh Leib, Ben Yosef Avram, right? Um, who's an American, born in, 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 in here in 1920, went to Columbia University. And uh, he was an re- excellent, respected teacher. He said he taught special needs kids. I did not know that. I have a special needs child. And always did out his way to go to give chesed and uh, graduate of Columbia. Hmm, pretty good. And was a tremendous moment in Machshav Torah. That I believe because I see the children. I want to tell you something. He told me a great story. And that is when the family first came here, I don't know how long, long ago, from Europe, whoever brought them over was afraid they'll get messed up in America, as happened to millions. And they got some special bracha from a Hasidic Rebbe, I think the Tamashava Rebbe. And he says, since you're going to America for the right reasons, there were certain reasons they went, I'm giving you a bracha that nobody should go off the derech. And what Eshidax told me, <laughs> if it's true, is all the children... And the grandchildren, the grandkids are Shabbos Shabbos. That's unbelievable. No, it's without any exceptions. There are very few families you could say that about. So that, that's what you call a bracha. Okay? So, in his memory, we'll now say a few words about the parsha. The fall are you late? Me is Avram Dax. Now, um, obviously, Ba'yishlach is all about Yaakov and Esau. And uh, I tell you, I was uh, zeroing in on Ba'yishlach Kehob. Because, you know, when we were little kids, we all heard Esau bit him. Uh, so I just sat down now when I was giving the class and looked into it a little bit, and it ain't push it. Let me say this. I'll tell you what doesn't happen when Yaakov and Asa reunite. They don't fight, but they don't have a frank conversation. Here's what should have happened. Asa and Yaakov would meet, and Asa was like this, why'd you steal the birthright from me? And then Yaakov said, well, first of all, I didn't steal it. It was my mother's idea. Whatever. You know, Whatever. But then you have it out and put it out on the table and talk it through and put it behind you. You get it? It's interesting. That doesn't happen. Instead, Yaakov goes through a whole elaborate choreography, and I know we all know the story, but consider this well. It's a mediated encounter. Uh, first, and he sends them one group after another as presents. So it's like, if I'm going for a job interview, something like I'm sending you flowers, then I'm sending you baseball tickets, then I'm sending you this, then I'm sending you that, and then I show up to ask for the uh, <laughs> for the job. You know, um, he lays it on thick. Mom, she lays it on thick. So basically, Yaakov is doing everything except talking about the white elephant on the table. Yaakov should have sent, you'd think, Yaakov should have sent him a thing and said, listen, I'm loving Garti, but tired Mr. Shamarti, and I'm here to take my possession of Yisrael, and it's mine, and I took it the right way, and I have confidence that Hashem will back me, because I had a dream, 
and so on and so forth. He doesn't do anything like that. It's, you know, it took me a long time to get back to this. I've been waiting to see you for a long time. That's a bunch of baloney. You see? Um, and, uh, oh my goodness. Now, what I'm saying is they don't exactly have a frank and sincere making up. Instead, they shoot the ball a lot. You know, Aesop's a Yeshli Rob, Yaka bows down to him. It's, it's, um, it's strange, okay? It's strange. On the other hand, it kind of worked. When I say worked, Aesop didn't kill him. They did not have a physical fight. Uh, but who knows why? You know, there are two ways of reading the story. One way is to say like this, Nichmaru Rachma Balachav. You know, Aesop saw Yaakov, he saw the children. You know, he made up. I'm a millionaire now. He's a millionaire. Whoever got the bracha, the heck with it. We, we've both done well. I went into real estate. He went into cattle and sheep. You know, it's going to shine good. Who cares about the fact that when we were 12 years old or 20 years old, we fought about who gets the, the Cadillac. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was only angry because he got the Cadillac. Now I've been looking. Life is so spun out that I can now put it in perspective and what we fought about long ago is not Kedai. You know, I got Metal Shemayim Mishmane Yards. He got Metal Shemayim we, We're both doing okay. But, you know, you know what I mean? That's the way the encounter seems to go. So it's a mediated encounter. Now, if I were a literary person, which I'm not, then you'd say... And in our Pasha, we also have an example of an unmediated encounter. And that's the rape of Dina. Right? It's not exactly like Shechem and her were like introduced socially or something like that. You know? By Arasa Shechem, you know the story, Shechem, Chivi, whatever. And he grabbed her. That's an unmediated encounter. So you see, when you're dealing with the Asos of the world and dealing with the others, you need a mediated encounter, which is just interesting. And the tra- fact of the matter is, throughout, I made this point earlier in the day, Whenever Kali you throw throughout its history, has been living in Gaish environments, in all cases, it's always minchaleks of achicha. They've always done it by, you know, they had to pour on the presence. Uh, that's how it was in the old country. There are no exceptions to that. We had the Jews in Spain, in Italy, in Germany, in, in Poland, Russia. In the good times, in the best of times, it's always because by Yishach Yaakov, minchaleks of achicha. That's how it goes. And wherever there's a Jewish community in old days, they all knew, comes Christmas, comes New Year's, comes this, comes that. The girlfriend's birthday, the boyfriend's birthday. Isaiah Gatus, this was part of the budget for the Kehillah long ago. You understand? This is how it went. You had to get along with the parrots. You had to go along with this one. You had to go on that. That's how it went. Hold it for a second. Uh, another bill. Anyhow, so they are trying to put together, you know, uh, uh, the story of, of uh, Dina, whatever. It made me lose my train of thought. But you know what I'm saying. You have the encounter of Yaakov and Esau. And here's the thing. Um, you could learn that Esau felt bad for him. Or, alternatively, Esau was scared of him. Notice, Yaakov says, Vahilitzon, Vahamor, whatever it is, I've got a lot of stuff coming back with. So Yaakov didn't come back just with 12 children. He came back with evidence shifcha. With a gun to chlastery, you know what I mean? A whole group. For all I know, hundreds, perhaps thousands. Now, these are slaves. But what's a slave in the old days? Among other things, it's a retainer. By that I mean, it's a soldier. That's how, in in, in feudal times, wars were fought. 
the Lord and his uh, service. You get it? That's how it went. The Lord and his service. So if Yaakov has so many that he can give some as presents to Esau, could be Yaakov is playing a smart psychological game. Because if he's sending Tzom Vev of uh you know, um, even though, I don't know, the Pasuk specifies animals, but the mentions over there, let me let, let me take a look very quick, quickly over here. Uh, what does it say? Uh, you send him Eder, Eder, Levado, I remember, and Samta Zarecha, Hoyam, here it is, Kamali Menikos, Aitim Biyad of Eder, Levado. So in other words, he sends all these animals accompanied by his slaves, by Zavonim. And basically, the idea is like this. He's got an army. Esau came in 400 men. For all I know, Yaakov had 800 men. You get it? Isn't that how Abraham fought his battles? He mobilized the retainers of his household. This is the Middle East. You have great lords. They have their, their retainers. It doesn't necessarily mean a slave in the sense of, you know, uh, you know, wash my feet. Uh, so it means somebody who's who's working for you and is loyal to you. I mean, that's the deal and reciprocal. In other words, it's not like the slaves in, slaves in the American South. It's the Middle Eastern system. And so Asaph may come with his men. And he takes a look over here. And Asaph says, I guess, well, maybe <laughs> better play this game different. Maybe I better just kiss Yaakov and make up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, which is a different scenario. You and I will never know exactly what happened. Theoretically, you could argue both ways, but, you know, we'll never know what happened. All we know is Asaph doesn't kill him or try to kill him, which is just interesting. <clears throat> now, to me, it's interesting. Asaph is described over here that they're both loaded. They're all, in fact, <laughs> this is almost, this is myself a similar one. Yaakov kicks Asaph out of the neighborhood. By the time the story's over, Hashuna mitchared, like they say in Israel. You know, the, the, the Hasidim bought out all of Jackson and, and Tom's River. It says, at the end of the day, you know, Yaakov was like Hasidish. Asaph had to move. Asaph went to Seir. <laughs> the firm were, were, were too many. Uh, he couldn't stand all the kosher food. You know, he moves to another country. Why didn't Asaph like this? Ah, this is my land. You stole from me. You go to Seir. But Asaph doesn't do that. He hits the road. And so, it's just interesting. <laughs> you find the first example will happen other times in history where you have a real estate situation where they just move out, move somewhere else. You understand? Move somewhere else. Now, notice something very interesting. And that is, it doesn't say anywhere um, that Aesop is not entitled to Israel. You understand what I'm saying? At least I can't think of any. When it comes to Yishmol, Yitzhak Yishmol, so it doesn't say in the Chumash, Kibi Yitzchak, Yitzchak, Something like that. And Kiliyitzak, you know, So God clearly says, Yishmol is not going to have any of the bracha. He says, don't worry, I'll take care of Yishmol. You know, something like that. You know, we'll take care of Yishmol. But not here, not in Israel. So it's pretty clear that Yishmol, although he was physically the son, the Vavram doesn't get any of the piece of that. But you don't find that, interestingly to me, with Yaakov and Esau. It doesn't say to Yaakov, you will get Eretz Yisrael and Esau not. Only in the prophets 
We get to the Nevi'im, it's Esav, so Nesi, these kind of expressions. In the Chumash, in the main story, you don't see it at all. Isn't that interesting? So Esav can say like this, this is a promise to Avram and his children, I'm part of the children of Avram. Where does it say to you, get Eretz Yisrael? And yet, as we all know, by the time the story unfolds in Parshav Yishal, Esav hits the road and evacuates Israel. Now, he does well. He goes to Seir, and he, he wipes out the people there, and marries them, and he takes over them. And the Pasuk goes to great detail to talk about the kings and all this other business. But don't say Esau had to do that. And in his opinion, he was entitled to the birthright as well. So it's it's a very funny kind of relationship that they have the two. So why doesn't Esau take on Yaakov and contest it? Unless you say he saw Yaakov had a big army with him. Even though Yaakov was afraid, you can have a big army and still be afraid. I could go to Frum Root and say he was afraid Shemayigram Achet. I can go stomp the regular route, which is even a strong army. You're afraid of war. You don't want to get involved in an actual fight. Because once a war goes, you never know who wins a war. You know what I'm saying? War is terrible. Um, the unexpected consequences. I know one thing. In history, there's not a single war that ever took place that ended up the way the person who started the war thought it would end up. You hear what I just said? You know, smoke that. No war ever ended. I'll give you an example. Did America, when they entered World War II, or England, did they imagine after 1945, the world's going to look the way it is? And that they're going to lose everything? And Russia's going to take over? And this and that and the other? And a Cold War would emerge and we would go bankrupt and be 30 trillion in the hole like we are now? Nobody figured that out. So, Hesel could have simply been prudent. And he saw, you know, Yaakov's armed over there. Yes, Yaakov is afraid. He's dominating and this and that and the other. He's dividing his camp. All those are signs of prudence. But Yaakov is ready for a fight if necessary. This is the guy that rolled the stone off the well. And this is the guy who basically says like this, I took care of Lovin. And now they say, Garti, I took care of Lovin. If necessary, I can take care of you. I don't want to. I'd rather go to the other extreme and say, I bow down to you. I respect you. You're my lord. You're my this. As long as you move out of my neighborhood. You get it? I'll say whatever you want to do. As long as you... Get out of the way. Um, so leave me Eretz uh, Which And Asaph does it. You know. Now, why would Asaph do this? Could be Asaph was also prudent. Why do I say that? The Pasuk goes through the trouble of telling us, Asaph was loaded. So 20-some years have passed by since the stealing of the bracha. Asaph become a multimillionaire. Yaakov become a multimillionaire. Each in his own way. <laughs> Listen closely. When you have a lot of rechush, that should make you very cautious and prudent. If you're smart. If you're smart. Why risk it? History does have people who risk, you know, the great fortunes. I'm talking about in terms of political. And usually it doesn't turn out well. There are exceptions, but usually it doesn't turn out well. I'm thinking in the 20th century. Uh, look, look at the difference between Hitler and Stalin. If you look at Stalin very closely, very, very cautious. Extremely cautious. He only took over some man when he cut a deal with Hitler in 39, because it didn't involve fighting. He, of course, never figured Hitler would turn the thing and, and attack him in June of 41. So he'd be on the ropes, you know, he didn't figure like that. Uh, afterwards, when the situation was ripe, he grabbed whatever he could successfully in Europe. Then he stopped. When America said back out of Iran and this, and he did. Very cautious. He played the game very well. Now, Hitler, on the other hand, 
was a high roller, you know. He took a chance in a war with Czechoslovakia, took a chance in a war in Austria. He got addicted to taking big risks. And when he attacked Stalin, or or even Poland, and provoked England, France, he took himself down. In other words, Hitler had a good thing going. He ran the whole country. He had an absolute dictatorship. He got away with stealing, you know, Austria and Czechoslovakia and all this stuff. Be satisfied with the great accomplishments that you've had. Why risk it? But he was a fool. He, you know, he was a risker and he lost it all. You want another example? Um, think of Francisco Franco versus Saddam Hussein. Uh, both of them were dictators. Franco came to power in the Civil War in Spain. It was very ruthless. They killed all the opponents and stuff like that. But once he got in power, he didn't risk it. When World War II broke out, even though he was friends with Hitler, he said, I'm not getting involved. You might possibly lose, and I could lose everything. Hitler says, there's no way I can lose. I'm not taking a risk. And it was smart. That way Spain stayed out of war, and they played their cards very prudently after the war. He was able to rule Spain till the day he died in 1975. He got away with it. You know what I'm saying? Very prudent. Now look at Saddam Hussein. Bishlam, you can tell me... He invaded Kuwait. That might be a cause of a misunderstanding. He thought America was okay with it. But after America beat him badly, he should have shut up. He said, from now I'm going to be a good boy. Instead, he tried to kill Bush Sr., and he was always attacking America. He just provoked that they should come invade a second time and destroy the country. And he lost everything. So Asa was a smart guy. Asa comes in. He sees Tzomvev and Shifchah. Yaakov's, you know, acting humble. But he's like Teddy Roosevelt, speak softly and carry a big stick. And he says, why should I take you on this risk? I'm not even going if you say Malachim Mamish. That's a different shot altogether. If he saw Malachim on the side, then of course he didn't take him. Take him off. But let's say, I mean, you know, angels. Not Malachim Mamish, you know, angels. But if he said Malachim, you know, just, you know what I mean? People, messengers. Yaakov was not walking around. He talks like I'm alone. By yeah, it was alone when he felt like it. But the two camps that were not just the way you imagine, you know, Rachel Vishvachos over here and the other one over here, and they're huddling together in terror. There's no way to protect them except Yaakov himself. He had an organized army. He said, he had, he had forces. He didn't want to use them. So the two brothers, because they were rich, acted conservatively. And didn't risk anything. And therefore, they didn't have a violent encounter. Now, what kind of encounter did they have? This is the whole conundrum, the gigantic business about Vaisha Kehu. Okay? With the dots. Ever since I'm a kid, they say it's Ace of Teeth. You know, um, Rashi does not say that, very interestingly. You know, Rashi does not say he bit him, which is interesting. Rashi instead is concentrating... I think it's very interesting the way Rashi approaches it. Rashi says, has the dots. One idea is Ace of kissed him, but insincerely, not with his whole heart. So the idea behind that, as I understand it, is whenever you have dots over the letter, it's supposed to indicate there's a suffix about what, uh, what that word should be there. Or something like that. And it's, it's not a subject where the word should be there. It's a diminution of it. And therefore he kissed him. is a diminution 
the reduction in the full kiss. So he kissed him half-heartedly. Yes, why okay, but it's got dots on it. You know, it wasn't a full-hearted business. And Rajbi, of all people, Shemba Yochai is the one who said to hell with the Romans. They all stink. You know the story about Lagbomer. And he hated them. So he hated Aesop. And Rajbi is the one who says no. Vayishokeo means he had a diminution of anti-Semitism. It's a rare occasion where Aesop kissed him with his full heart. So of all people, Rajvi should say that. Shimba Yochai. It's kind of funny. Uh, I would even be tempted to say, not based on anything, that maybe they got the gears as a reverse. You know what I mean? It would make more sense if the first Mandamer was the Rajvi and the second was uh, whoever. But I don't know. Even as it is. However, there are ancient sources, and there certainly are, that talk about Vaisha Kale, that he bit him. Uh, now, mind you, this could be, you know, Kuf versus Kuf, get it? Vaisha Kale, they sound the same. Because if the original Girsa was with a Kuf, that means he kissed him. If the original Girsa was with a Kuf, it means he bit him. Noshach, Vaisha Kale, he bit him. So already in the ancient text, you know, it's not going to be so clear. And when you have dots over a letter, classically, according to Officer of Nassim, places like that, yep. excuse me, it's that we're a suffix whether the word should really be there. How do you know the Chumash you have is accurate? The answer is we do not know. We do not have an original from Moses. I wish we did. Once upon a time they did. We don't anymore. If you're interested in this, just get the Ari Kaplan uh, Handbook of Jewish Thought or something like that. They read the chapter about the Torah. He gives you all the Makoras, um, which are all over the place. You know, there was a Sefer Shilzak, two Dimas, and the other. In the, or in the time of Ezra. That's a long time ago. Ezra put in the dots, and those are words he's not sure whether they should be in the Torah or not. Or something like that. Or something like that. Um, and Ezra said something to the effect of, if this, I'm putting a dot in there, so, um, indicate there's a doubt over here. If Elianovi comes in and shows up and says, uh, you know, why is that word there? It's wrong. I'll say, here it's I will tell him, I put a doubt on there to indicate we weren't sure where that word should be there. So maybe it shouldn't say if you apply that word over here. And if Elianovi on the contrary says to me, Yafa Kazarta, that this word is there, ever in a Then I'll re- I'll remove the dots from the Sefer Torahs. So it's unsure the Girsa. That's one way of understanding the general idea behind the dots. But that doesn't quite work over here. Unless you say you're not sure the word is Yishakeo with a Kuf, or maybe Yishakeo with a Chuf. But then you should only have the dot on the Kuf. Right? If you had like that, then it'd be perfect. Then it'd be Clark. That, you know, was it with, that'd be a very nice vort for Dvar Torah. Was it with a cuff or was it with a cuff? Did he kiss him sincerely or did he bite him? Uh, but nevertheless, you have it there. Now, I'll tell you what I think. That's all I can ever do. The problem, I believe, is in the push of shot. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in the long arichas, there's a great variation in the rabbinic sources, I mean in the Chazals and the Rishonim, over whether he bit him or didn't bite him. 
whether that's the right way to read it or not. I told you, Rashi doesn't say that. And since I introduced you to Menachem Kasher and the Torah Shlema a couple weeks ago, and I know some of you bought it, so if you're interested in the subject at all, check out the Torah Shlema here in the Pesach of Isha Keo. It's on page uh, Tough, 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 Kofalov and Kopez. Okay? And it's uh, note number 16, Tezayin. And the footnotes at the bottom, he's got the Gansarikas like a little treatise. Anybody and his uncle ever, you know, wrote on the subject. For example, the Targum Yonasim Rezil, which of course is, is pseudo Jonas, it's not Yonasim Rezil at all. It's an old Targum, not Uncleus, says uh, by Shakeu, uh, uh, it says, Vayivku, Bacho Esa Bacho Al Tsaira Dishinoi, Esa cried for the pain for his teeth, Dismazmizu. It's uh, uh, it's, uh, because they were, uh, you know, hurt on Yaakov's hard neck. And Yaakov cried over his neck. In other words, it hurt Yaakov to some degree. It hurt Esau too. It doesn't say his neck turned hard, by the way. So it sounds like, according to the Targum Yonis, as best as I can tell, um, what do you call it? He bit him, didn't kill him. Um, he bit him, and, and both of them cried. That's a strange reading. Meaning, I, I'm aware it's an ancient reading. It's in a Targum. But, you know, they both cried over the, the fact that he bit him. <laughs> the victim and the other, you know, it's like I bite uh, somebody with a hard skin. You know, not, sh- not um, it turns into, um, uh, what do you call it, marble. Because then Yaakov wouldn't be crying. Uh, the it didn't hurt him. The answer is, Yaakov had a tough neck. Asa bit him. He made you, uh, listen, do you have children? Do, have you, any of your children ever bit the other one with the real young? It could happen, you know what I mean? It could happen. So both are crying. Uh, at the bottom, he has the long note about it. But I'll tell you, listen closely. That's the puzzle. That's out of order. Okay, Esau ran to Yaakov. And he hugged him. So imagine, I'll give you a hug. Did he fell on his neck? What he kissed him on his neck? <laughs> What's that? Right? Uh, <laughs> he's a Frenchman. He kissed him on his neck. Then they cried. That's not the way it should be, normal. It's possible. You know, it is possible. It's a little out of order. Shouldn't it be like this? runs. Imagine in your mind. Asa encounters Yaakov by and he hugs him and kisses him. So like Arab, I hug you, then I kiss you on the cheeks or whatever. And then he fell on each other's necks, meaning they, they embraced closely. I run to you, I give you a hug, that's I pull you to me. By Shakeo, I give you a kiss. And then, you know, um we you give a tight hug, you know, with my where my head is on your shoulder, on your neck. And vice versa. That's the normal way. Do you hear what I'm saying? Well, I should be the other round. It's out of order. They don't imagine, like I said before, he's some French guy. And so, then, then shouldn't come. So, there's something that's funny about that. Unless you say, no, he, he bit him on the neck with a bite. So, it sounds to me, you know, I don't know. 
that there was some ancient gear, so or something like that, and probably said Vaisha K with a with a cuff. On the other hand, maybe it was wrong. And maybe I mean the truth is Rashi's way can come out very nice. Because Asa was like I will tell you what I mean. If you follow closely Shimbin Yochai, listen closely to this. So Asa usually Sonny Lyakov. And so he hugs him and he falls on his neck. Vaishakir. He's about to bite him. Right? He's about to bite him. Because that's who Asav is. As Rashi says, Amarajbi, you'll do a Asa son of Yaakov. El Shanich Marach Bose Shah, Nishab Khalibo. So this is a Gavaldi Gib Shah. He's 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 he grabs him, he hug he uh he hugs him. But then that's just a, a stratagem to bring me close to you. Now I can kill you, I can bite your neck. But you know, he's overwhelmed by the emotion of it. And instead of Aisha Khehu, with a kuf, I'm sorry, with with a kuf, literally nichmra. Those are the words of Rashmi. Nichmru, Rachmov, Shav. So he's describing a a, a pow, powerful moment. Asa is surprised by his own, you know, like wow, the emotion takes over, and instead of going around what he did, he gets, so he kissed his neck, right? Not as they say because of uh, you know uh, European notions, but rather. He kissed his neck because, in other words, I was about to bite you, but instead I kiss you. You see? I was about to bite you, instead I kiss you. And so they have a, a positive uh, reaction, a positive encounter. And, you know, Yako can probably sense that, you know. And therefore they have this strained conversation because at the last minute, imagine I walk into a room, I pull out a knife, and then, instead of killing you, I say, you know, can I cut you a piece of cheese? Well, the other guy realizes, when I walked in the room and pulled out the knife, I had something else in my mind. And so, if I'm that type of person, it could switch in a second. I don't want Aesop to go back to, to square one and then, and then try to kill me. And say they have that strange conversation, right? They, 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 they have that strange conversation. And so the result is that you have a fascinating encounter over here and uh, as I said before, they never settle the issue. Um, Ace and Yaakov don't talk it through. Ace and Yaakov theoretically can't live together. But on the other hand, Ace and Yaakov are destined um, to go down through history. This is why the Chazal, in my opinion, always assigned Ace of the position as the personification of Europe, of Christianity, of the West, and all the rest of it, because when you think about it, um, it's funny that, you know, uh, the Christian religion hit the Europeans. They were pagan and this, that, and the other. To them, the story about Judaism is just another fairy tale, very typical of what you find in mythology of all the peoples. Every nation out there has some kind of a, t a fairy tale where they're the chosen people. The Chinese, the Japanese, the Hungarians, the Polish, the Irish, you name it. And most of us go like this. No, so what? I'll give you an example. The Irish have some kind of a thing that they're the chosen people. It don't bother me. It's a bunch of Poland. Don't bother me. You know, the Mormons want to say they're the, 
The chosen it's okay. I mean, that's what <laughs> doesn't bother me. Right? What do I care? Say what you want. The Jews have a thing that the chosen people, the Christians latch onto it. Ace of latches onto it. You see? Uh he wrestles with Yaakov. And the truth of the matter is in the encounter Yaakov is wounded, so Yaakov loses people down the ages, they say to Esau. Been a ton of Jews who converted. A ton of Jews who, who suffer when there's an unmediated uh, encounter. We, we today create a whole system of day schools and yeshivas precisely to mediate the encounter between Yaakov and Esau. Think about that, because I just said something very wise. We just created a whole network of chinuch to mediate the encounter of Yaakov and Esau. We have an unmediated encounter, and it's like American Jews in general. They're falling like flies in one way or another. So it's a very heavy story. You see that with Esau, the destiny is it's going to go like a seesaw, up and down. Sometimes Vayishachayu, sometimes Vayishachayu. Sometimes Esau bites us, sometimes Esau kisses us. And, it's, and that has been the history. You know, of the encounter between Yaakov and Esau down to today. Uh, when Esau kisses us, it's taka, an exception to the rule, as Shem Rajbi says, of Esau's only Yaakov. Because it's possible with Esau, every once in a while, Nichma Racham, Racham Yosef Shah. And we have benefited from that. Look, there were Hasidi Yom in the Shoah. There were some, not many. You can't deny it. Um... What about Esau's only Yaakov? In some way. Anyway, hold on for a second. Oh, uh, yeah, I got interrupted here. I got more nuts coming through my office than planters peanuts in, Ocean, in Atlantic City. Uh, <laughs> boy. Um, but anyway, you get the idea that the encounter you have between Yaakov and Esau is, uh, I won't say primordial, because that's a word that's used often, but it's not actually correct over here. But nevertheless, it's portentous. Let's put it that way. Um, and if you examine other aspects of it, you know, you'll see that there have been times when Nechma uh, Rachmov, and times not, and times not, um, would Hitler be identical with Aesop? Not really. It's a different thing. Let, let's put it this way. There is a strain of Aesop called Amalek. That is not what we're referring to over here. That's a strain of Aesop. That is not what we're referring to over here. But enough for one time. Once again, I want to thank the taxes for the uh, sponsorship and, and the Shamsham and Aliyah. And I wish you all a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.